Thank you. That concludes general questions. The next item of business is First Minister's questions. And at question number one, I call Douglas Ross. Thank you very much, Presiding Officer. As the month of Ramadan begins, can I take this opportunity to wish all Muslims in Scotland and across the UK a very peaceful holy month? The First Minister's party said this when asked by journalists just last month if they had lost 30,000 members. As the SNP clearly stated when asked, fewer than 300 members have left the party over the period. The quote continued, this story is both malicious and wholly inaccurate. Fortunately, few people are gullible enough to believe it. It's since emerged that the story is 100% correct. So why did Nicola Sturgeon's party, the party of government in this parliament, lie to the press and the public? Yeah. On matters for which the government has general responsibility, First Minister. Uh, presiding officer, can I begin by uh, wishing Ramadan Mubarak uh, to our Muslim community. I think I am in the very privileged position uh, of having, uh, of any constituency in the country, the highest proportion of Muslims uh, living within my Glasgow Southside uh, constituency. I know the holy month of Ramadan is a very special time uh, for Muslims, uh, and I wish them uh, all the best uh, during it. Um, on the issue of SNP uh, members, that issue has been uh, well canvassed over the last few days. I've got uh, nothing to add to what I have already said, except this, presiding officer. Uh, the SNP remains the only mass membership party yeah. in this country. Yeah. We have by far more members than any other party represented in this chamber. And I think, presiding officer, I can say with some confidence that the SNP has more members than all other parties in this chamber combined. However, I can't say that with absolute certainty. So let me say this finally to Douglas Ross. If he wants a conversation, a debate, an interaction about party membership figures, then that surely should be a meaningful one where we can compare and contrast. So before we go any further, will Douglas Ross share with the Chamber how many members his party has? Douglas Ross. I thought it's, it's very interesting, it's very interesting Thank you. that the First Minister... Thank you. Members, excuse me, we will hear Mr Ross. It's very interesting that the First Minister speaks about confidence in numbers because those seeking to replace her had no confidence in the numbers her party's chief executive and her head of communications issued to the press. And this is an important issue here in the Scottish Parliament. This is an important issue here in the Scottish Parliament. Excuse me, Mr Ross. Um, Mr Ross is seeking to ask a question of the First Minister. Can we please do Mr Ross the courtesy of listening? Thank you. Mr Ross. And, and this is an important issue here in the Scottish Parliament for the Scottish Government. Because they lied. They lied to the press and they lied to the public. That is absolutely clear. And Nicola Sturgeon is treating Ms. the Scottish Ms. public 
like Mr. idiots Ross, with this embarrassing defence. Mr Ross, if I could just remind you of the requirement of all members to treat one another with courtesy and respect yeah. at all times. Yeah. No, I, and, and, and of what no, not only I, but my predecessors, those who have um, you know, sat in this chair before me, have said with regards to the use of particular language in the chamber. But I think everyone has accepted that the SNP lied over these figures. And the defence the defence from Ross, Nicola Sturgeon Mr. is Ross. embarrassing. The, yeah, the SNP and their story went on like this. They said you don't have points of order. You don't have points of order during First Minister's questions. The SNP uh, said the story. First of all, I will decide when we are and are not taking points of order. However, as is established convention, I will not be taking a point of order until the end of this session. Mr Ross. Well, they, they don't seem to want to hear this, and I wonder why, uh, presiding officer, because the SNP's story on these figures continued that the, that the impression in the media was flat wrong. It was malicious and wholly inaccurate. They went on to say nobody was gullible enough to believe the reported reduction of 30,000 SNP members. But the truth is the SNP, the SNP as a party, did lie. That's why their chief executive and the head of communications has resigned. So why would anybody be gullible enough to believe that Nicola Sturgeon was unaware of what her chief executive and the most senior members of her own party were up to? Before the First Minister begins, I will remind all members of the requirement in this chamber. We do not use the word lie in this chamber. First Minister. Setting officer, I think the only character that is being revealed in this chamber today is that of Douglas Ross. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Douglas Ross, as leader of the opposition, uh, no doubt uh, going to be a very long-standing leader of the opposition. Uh, well, unless his party has something to say about that. He, he chooses the topics uh, that he raises, and that is absolutely right and proper. But let it be noted uh, today uh, for the people watching right now that on this my last appearance as First Minister at First Minister's Questions, Douglas Ross is not asking me about the National Health Service or education or the economy uh, or climate justice. Uh, but this is the topic he has chosen, party membership figures. So that is fine. But if we are to have a proper interaction, a proper I don't think Conservatives, yeah, given yesterday's events in the House of Commons, should be lecturing anyone about honesty and integrity. But coming back, presiding officer, if we are Thank to have you. a debate Thank you. about party membership figures, then before we go any further, perhaps Douglas Ross would answer the question that I posed last time and that we're still waiting for an answer on. How many members does the Scottish Conservative Party have? Surely he knows. Tell us. Nicola Sturgeon started a week early. When you're on the back benches, you get to ask the questions at FMQs. In your final one, uh, you're supposed to answer. Now, the First Minister's farewell tour this week has been a masterclass in deceit and political spin. 
She was too busy, far too busy, to appear in front of the Scottish Fair's Select Committee, but somehow, somehow managed to eke, up, eke out time in her schedule to sit down and loose women to debate the great offices of state and the matters of state with Janet Street Porter. She says her party is experiencing growing pains. This must be the first time that growing pains have actually shrunk something. She claims that she's left her successor a brilliant foundation. First Minister, Mr. that's Ross. all that's left. Mr. The foundation, Ross. the Mr. house that Sturgeon, Salmond and Murrell... Sorry, I'm finding it very difficult to hear you from here. I would be grateful if we could hear one member at a time and only those members who I've called. Mr Ross. I, I was just saying how the First Minister claimed to have left her successor with a brilliant foundation, but that's all that's left. The foundation, the house that Sturgeon, Salmond and Murrell built is collapsing. And the SNP have said it themselves. Party President Mike Russell admitted this week they are in a tremendous mess. First Minister, he's right, isn't he? First Minister, well, firstly, if he, wants, if he wants to know about collapsing uh, political parties, he should look at a, a poll about leaders' favourability yeah. ratings published this very morning. It does not make happy reading for Douglas Ross. Uh, but on the issue of priorities, uh, presiding officer, and these are not the issues I would have chosen to go on today, but Douglas Ross has chosen them. So if he wants to talk about priorities, let me point out that I am not the member of this parliament that missed a veterans' event to referee a yeah, football match. Thank you. Secondly, on that point, presiding officer, I am not accountable to the House of Commons. I am accountable to this parliament. I know Douglas Ross has difficulty deciding which parliament is more important to Scotland because he's got one foot in each. But I know which parliament is most important to Scotland and it is this one, our Scottish parliament. And finally, presiding officer, I am proud. I am proud of the record of the government I have led through some of the toughest times Scotland has faced in recent history. But ultimately, the only people uh, who will cast a verdict uh, on the record of my or future government are the people of Scotland. And in my time as First Minister, they have had eight opportunities to do that. And on each of these eight opportunities, they have voted for me, for the SNP and for my government. That's a record I'm very proud to stand on. Douglas Ross. Well, if the First Minister is proud of her record in government, if the First Minister is proud of her record in government, let's just look at it. In her final FMQs, let's just go over it. On Nicola Sturgeon's watch... We will hear Mr on, Ross, thank you. On Nicola Sturgeon's watch, Scotland schools have plummeted down international league tables. She has made no progress on the attainment gap and broke her promise to close it completely. The Name Persons Act, the Hate Crime Act, the Gender Recognition Bill were all unworkable. Drug deaths in Scotland are the highest in Europe, five times greater than anywhere else in the United Kingdom. And right now, at this moment, one in seven Scots is on an NHS waiting list. And on her final day in this chamber as First Minister, a cross-party committee of this Parliament delivered a damning report on ferries. 
They found that Nicola Sturgeon personally intervened to prioritise vanity over vessels, leading to huge delays and costing the taxpayers hundreds of millions of pounds. On these and so many other issues, Nicola Sturgeon ignored Scotland's priorities in favour of her obsession with independence. She divided our country and failed on every mission she set herself. First Minister, isn't that the truth of your legacy? First Minister, presiding officer for Douglas Ross, that has not been at any point in my time as First Minister the verdict of the Scottish yeah, people. Yeah, eight election victories in eight years as First Minister, that's the verdict that matters to me. But let's look at my record as First Minister. Progressive income tax the Scottish child payment, lifting children out of poverty, the baby box, closing the attainment gap, record numbers of people like, from backgrounds like mine going to university, a national investment bank leading the way in climate change, abolishing prescription charges, minimum unit pricing, saving lives, record high health funding, the best performing accident emergency departments anywhere in the UK, the domestic abuse Act, free period products, expanded, doubled childcare, the promise for care experience, you. young people, the highest level of school spend per pupil anywhere in the UK, the highest number of teachers per head, 8% more teachers now than when I became First Minister, free tuition for higher education, free bus travel for those under 22. I could go on and on and on, but I'm not going to because this is my last session of First Minister's Questions. Question number two, Anna Sawa. Thank you. President officer, can I join others in saying Ramadan Mubarak? It's a month of sacrifice, of reflection and charity, and we remember those that are less fortunate both here at home and around the world. We live in serious times with a cost of living crisis and an NHS crisis. And given this is my last opportunity to question the First Minister, I do want to ask about the finishing touches to what I'm sure will be a handover document for her successor. And I think it's important to check what she believes is in the entry for the next First Minister. Because after 15 years of SNP government, there is not a single Scottish institution that is stronger now than when her party took office. From the ferry scandal, the entrenched attainment gap, the NHS crisis, to decimated local services. Which of our government's many failures does the First Minister think her successor needs to address first? First Minister. Well, with the greatest respect, Anna Sarwar is just wrong. I mean, let's look, first of all, at some of the institutions that didn't even exist when I became First Minister. Uh, Revenue Scotland, for example, making sure that we have the most progressive income tax system yeah. anywhere in the UK. Social Security yeah. Scotland, delivering benefits to people across the country, including the Scottish Child Payment. The Scottish National Investment Bank, uh, leading this country's drive now to net zero. The NHS, of course, facing real challenges as a result of the COVID pandemic, but still with the best performing A&E departments anywhere in the UK. Tomorrow, I will be in Fife, opening our new national treatment centre there that will deliver more operations for people in Fife and will soon be joined by national treatment centres elsewhere uh, across Scotland. 
in education, more young people from the kind of background uh, like mine going to university than has ever been the case before. Uh, a doubling of early years uh, education and childcare. I think that is strengthening of many, many institutions. Does my successor have a tough job? Of course, because we live in tough times. But I've got confidence uh, that whoever uh, my successor turns out to be, whoever is standing here next week, they will continue to build on that record and they will continue to retain the trust of the Scottish people. I know Nicola Sturgeon can try and take credit for lots of things. I'm not sure she can take credit for creating the National Health Service. I think that might have been uh, a previous government. Now, uh, Nicola Sturgeon likes to talk about records. Here are just a few set in her time, piling up in her successor's sky-high entry. Record A&E waiting times, with one in seven Scots on an NHS waiting list. Record drug deaths. Record vacancies for nurses and doctors in our NHS. Record levels of children without a home. Record levels of homelessness. I could go on and on, but seeing as it's our last First Minister's questions, I won't do that. It is hard to see how our successor will be able to fix these problems as they were sat round the Cabinet table with her. The decisions taken around that Cabinet table resulted in over £3 billion of taxpayers' money wasted since 2007. That's £1,200 for every household in Scotland. And at the same time, they spent public money to build a culture of cover-up and secrecy, which is now beginning to unravel, all while Scots struggle to keep their head above the waterline. And given the scale of the challenges piled up in this entry, does the First Minister agree with two of the three SNP candidates that mediocrity continuity and incompetence won't cut it. First Minister. Well, firstly, Presiding Officer, um, I never claimed to have created the National Health Service, but what I, will, what I will claim to have done is help protect the founding principles of our National Health Service. Because I was a health secretary that abolished prescription charges uh, for everyone in Scotland, something that in all their years in government, Labour had never, ever got round to doing. I also took a hospital, I also took a hospital privatised under Labour back in to the National Health Service. On Anna Sarwar's three billion pounds uh, figure, I think we've already shown that in previous sessions uh, of First Minister's questions to be utterly nonsense, but I'm not going to embarrass him by going back to the detail of that again today. But let me use another three billion pounds figure because that is the number for the amount of money this government is investing uh, each year to mitigate the cost of living crisis, to help people deal with Tory austerity. If we were an independent country, we wouldn't have to mitigate Tory austerity. But while Labour still prefers to see this country governed by Tories at Westminster rather than have self-governance and independence here in our own parliament, Labour will never, ever be taken seriously in Scotland. I, like many people around across the United Kingdom, look forward to the next general election where we can boot out the Tory government and we can get rid of the last SNP excuse. Now, the First Minister has spent much of her political career talking about mandates. Her successor inherits this woeful SNP record, but they don't inherit her mandate. The last election was a pandemic election one in which the First Minister won with a direct appeal from her to steer the country through the pandemic and the COVID recovery. 
That recovery hasn't even started. In fact, by every metric, things have got worse. And now Scotland faces two crises, an NHS recovery that never began and the cost of living crisis, families facing spiralling bills and soaring energy prices. But as her potential successors squabble over their own record in government, they can't escape facts. They don't have a plan for Scotland and they don't have a mandate from the public. And that is why we need an election now. So in my final question to Nicola Sturgeon, does she agree with her own words? There are no words to describe this utter shambles adequately. It's beyond hyperbole and parody. Reality, though, is that ordinary people are paying the price. The interests of the party should concern no one right now. An election is now a democratic imperative. First, that was about the Conservatives at Westminster. And the difference, one of the differences between uh, me and Anna Sarwar is I don't support uh, Tory Government of Scotland uh, because Scotland does not vote for Conservatives. Uh, and I, I fought three, three general elections uh, as SNP leader, uh, and the SNP has won all of them. And at every one, we've heard the same messages from Labour. And at every single one, the people of Scotland have cast their verdict. Um, I am proud of the achievements of the governments that I have led. Let me end on another one because it is related to COVID recovery and it has been achieved in spite of what we're having to deal with from the Conservatives at Westminster. Today, Scotland has record high employment, record low unemployment and record low economic inactivity. Uh, we have a good foundation in this country. We face many challenges. Uh, but I have every confidence that my successor, who will be standing here uh, next week, will continue to lead this country forward. It uh, will continue to take the decisions that are in the interests of this country and that they will lead this country to becoming an independent nation. Question number three, Alex Cole Hamilton. Thank you, Presiding Officer. And can I also wish Ramadan Mubarak to everyone celebrating it, but also on this National Day of Reflection and Commemoration, remember more than 16,000 lives lost to us and the gaps they leave in their communities and their families as a result of the COVID pandemic. Um, she may not know the answer to this, but to ask the First Minister when the Cabinet will next meet. First Minister. And that, of course, is a matter for the new First Minister. Uh, the only thing I know for certain is that I will not be in attendance. Um, can I say, uh, though, Presiding Officer, and I, I will say more about this in the, the session that follows FMQs, uh, today, of course, marks the third anniversary of lockdown. Uh, and my thoughts today, uh, as my thoughts are uh, at some stage in every single day, are with all those who suffered uh, as a result of COVID. Uh, I will have them in my thoughts, my mind and my heart for as long as I live. Alex Cole Hamilton. I'm very grateful for that reply and I share its sentiments. The mental health treatment targets were introduced in December 2014, 11 days after Nicola Sturgeon was sworn in as First Minister. They have never been met, not once in over 3,000 days. That's 99 consecutive months. I have lost count of the number of times that the First Minister told me that the situation was unacceptable. I have lost count of the number of times she promised staff and sufferers that things would get better. But in reality, 
Nicola Sturgeon quietly downgraded the Office of Mental Health Minister. Her finance department, headed by Kate Forbes, slashed £50 million from the mental health budget this winter. And her health secretary, Humza Yusuf, gave a personal promise to clear waiting lists for both children and adults by March 2023. Presiding officer, look at the calendar. It's March. We are here and the SNP are nowhere. There is a sea of human pain out there. So much unmet need. Don't just tell me that this is unacceptable. At this late hour, at the last and final time of asking, will the First Minister admit her government has failed Scotland on mental health? First Minister. Uh, what I will absolutely say is there is much, much more work to do on mental health. One of the things uh, that has changed, certainly, uh, since I uh, was a young person and has changed even in the years I've been First Minister is that we have reduced the stigma associated with mental health. More people are coming forward uh, for help and treatment and that is a good thing but we must make sure the services uh, are there for them. Uh, we have seen a significant increase in the budget uh, for mental health under the SNP. Mental health spending has doubled in cash terms. We see many more people uh, working in mental health services than was previously the case. Uh, coming directly to CAMS, because it is important and there is so much more to do. Uh, the number of children starting uh, treatment uh, for CAMS in the most recent quarter is the highest on record uh, by some distance and we're now seeing the most sustained uh, changes in CAMS waiting lists for over half a decade. The overall waiting list has decreased by more than 9%, children waiting over 18 weeks has decreased by more than 30% and children waiting over 52 weeks has decreased by more than 40%. So yes, much, much more to do but progress uh, being made and I know it will be a priority for my successor, whoever he or she may be, to continue that progress. Question number four, Fiona Hislop. To ask the First Minister for a response to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's Synthesis Report. First Minister. Uh, the evidence has never been clearer than it is now. We are fast running out of time to secure a livable and a sustainable future uh, for the generations to come. Uh, this report must lead to an acceleration of global action to tackle the climate emergency. Scotland is making long-term progress towards net zero, uh, but we are now entering the most challenging part of that journey, requiring truly transformational action across society and our economy. Uh, this cannot and will not happen without all of us, including everyone across this parliament, supporting bold steps as part of a national effort to tackle the climate emergency. Lastly, uh, at COP27, Scotland pledged an additional £5 million to address loss and damage, and we will continue to advocate for practical action and finance to support the Global South, where the effects of climate change are already being experienced. Fiona Hislop. Following the publication of this report, UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres made a plea to all governments. He said, humanity is on thin ice and that ice is melting fast. The report is a clarion call uh, to massively fast-track climate efforts by every country and every sector and on every time frame. In short, our world needs climate action on all fronts, everything, everywhere, all at once. I know how serious and ambitious the First Minister has been in leading on the climate emergency agenda, and I appreciate that. Does she agree that this stark assessment must lead to transformational and accelerated action by all governments, local government, the UK government, and her successor here in this parliament to combat climate change? 
First Minister. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly with Fiona Hislop and I agree wholeheartedly with the comments earlier this week of the United Nations Secretary-General. Uh, there is no doubt uh, that we need uh, concerted action, accelerated action on all fronts. Uh, I am proud that Scotland is and we are recognised as being at the forefront of the global journey to reach net zero emissions and a climate resilient future. Uh, this Parliament's ambitious climate change legislation requires all of us, governments, individuals, communities and businesses to take lasting action to drive down our emissions in a way that is just and fair for all. Uh, but we also need to see action and much higher ambition from the UK Government on the solutions for net zero that are currently reserved to Westminster and of course we need other countries across the world uh, to match that ambitions uh, too. While Scotland's emissions reduction targets are in line with a global 1.5 pathway, it is vital that other countries revisit and, and strengthen the ambition of their 2030 emissions pledges and long-term strategies to align with a 1.5 pathway ahead of COP28. William Kerr. Very grateful, Presiding Officer. The IPCC report... We will suspend business. Thank you. We will resume business and I would ask um, Liam Kerr to begin his question. Thank you. Very grateful, Presiding Officer. The IPCC report made start warnings about how, if we are to have any hope of tackling the climate emergency, we must look at all green generation technologies. Now, given that countries such as Japan, Germany and France are swinging behind nuclear generated energy, which is a zero emission clean energy source, isn't it now imperative that the First Minister's Government looks again with an evidence-based yep. and a science-led assessment yep. at its knee-jerk banning of new nuclear in Scotland. First Minister. Okay. Firstly, I agree with the sentiment behind that question. We all have to uh, up our action on this, and green energy generation is a vital part of it. But, but I don't agree on the question of nuclear. Uh, nuclear energy is very expensive. We still don't know what to do with the waste uh, long term. And of course, not all other countries uh, have Scotland's uh, offshore wind potential, for example, green hydrogen potential and other renewable uh, sources of energy potential. You know, Scotland right now uh, gives us the potential to generate up to 28 gigawatts of renewable energy. That is massive. Uh, that will enable us to export as well as meet our own needs. So I think we should focus uh, on renewable, clean, green, renewable energy. That's not just right for the environment. Uh, that gives us the opportunity to boost industry, the economy, uh, and create tens of thousands of jobs in the future. That's where uh, the focus of this and future Scottish Government should be. Colin Smith. Thank you, President Officer. This report is the starkest warning yet that while our world leaders fiddle, the world burns and we're not on track to hold global warming at 1.5 degrees. But does the First Minister accept that as she leaves office, Scotland is also failing to meet our climate targets? As the Climate Change Committee warns, Scotland is missing so many of those targets that are in danger of becoming meaningless. Now, given that transport remains the biggest source of emissions, does the First Minister regret the savage cuts made to a rail and bus services on her watch mean well, the dip in car use since 2016 is 12.5%, the collapse in rail numbers is over 50% and bus passenger numbers is over 40%. And does she agree it is a priority for her successor to reverse the cuts that she made to those services? First Minister. Well, no, I, I don't regret public ownership of our railways. I don't regret the changes to bus franchising. And I certainly don't regret the free bus travel for pensioners and all young people under 22, encouraging people.
to use public transport. But I do agree. I do agree that Scotland, like all other countries, must do more. Scotland is doing uh, more to cut emissions and to tackle climate change than almost any other country in the world. I've been privileged to attempt uh, to attend COP climate change uh, summits over many years now, and there is a recognition for Scotland's leadership, if not here in this parliament, then certainly amongst countries overseas. But the bar of world leadership is too low. Every country needs to do more, and we need to do it with urgency, and Scotland must continue to lead by example. Mark Ruskell. Thank you. This report is also a reminder that extracting every last drop of oil and gas today will condemn future generations to climate breakdown. Independent research commissioned through the Butte House Agreement has shown that North Sea oil and gas output will continue to fall, while a just transition can deliver an increase in jobs in the years ahead. So can I ask the First Minister, what kind of leadership do we need from the Scottish Government to ensure a future for both workers and the climate? First Minister. Uh, I think we need to continue uh, the kind of leadership that we have been showing uh, on this issue. Uh, I am very clear, uh, while I have uh, the greatest respect uh, for all those who work in the oil and gas sector, uh, they have contributed hugely to Scotland, um, and we cannot make that switch uh, overnight. Uh, we must accelerate the transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Uh, and as Mark Ruskell rightly says, even if we weren't facing the climate emergency, the maturity of the North Sea would mean that we have to accelerate that transition there. We must do it in a fair and a just way, um, but we have the potential to do that, and we should grab that potential with both hands. Question number five, Stephen Kerr. Ask the First Minister what the outcomes have been of the Scottish Government's defining mission to tackle the poverty-related attainment gap. First Minister. Well, this government's commitment is to substantially eliminate the poverty-related attainment gap in this parliamentary term, and good progress is being made. Uh, the latest achievement of Curriculum for Excellence levels data demonstrated the biggest single-year decrease in the poverty-related gap in primary numeracy and literacy levels since records began. Uh, we are improving outcomes for young people impacted by poverty uh, beyond school two. The percentage of 2021-22 school leavers in a positive initial destination is the highest on record, and the poverty-related attainment gap is at a record low, down two-thirds since 2009-10. More young people than ever from deprived communities secured a place at university, and the previous Commissioner for Widening Access described our approach as an unambiguous success. Presiding officer, that is a record I am proud of, and I very much look forward to seeing my successor build on it. Stephen Kerr. Objectively, the best we can say is the First Minister tried and failed. Because education in Scotland is poorer. Here's her record. Fewer maths teachers, fewer technical education teachers, fewer computing science teachers, fewer language teachers, narrowing subject choice, plummeted down the international league tables, and on CFE levels in primary schools, literacy falling, reading falling, writing falling, numeracy falling, a widening attainment gap, and falling attainment overall. Can she honestly stand there, hand on heart, and say that education was her top priority? First Minister. Yes, I can. Now, Stephen Kerr asked me in his question uh, about outcomes. I'm just checking that that was the word in his question. So I gave him the data 
on the outcomes, and he obviously didn't like it. So he wants to talk about inputs. So let me talk now about inputs. When I became First Minister, the number of school teachers in Scotland was 49,521. Today, the number of school teachers in Scotland is 53,459, an 8% increase. In early learning and childcare settings, the numbers have increased as well. In Scotland, we have the most teachers per pupil in the UK, and education spent per person is higher than in either England and Wales. In Scotland, uh, we have 7,573 teachers per 100,000 pupils. In England, where the Tories are in power, that is just 5,734. In Scotland, we spend £7,600 per pupil. The Tories in England spend just £6,700. Yes, I am proud of this government's record on education, and I really do look forward to seeing it being built upon. Paul McLennan. Thank you, President Officer. The recent Institute of Fiscal Studies analysis of Scottish tax and benefit reform found that lowest-income families in Scotland are significantly better off, around £2,000 on average, as a result of the SNP Scottish Government's progressive tax and benefit policies. If this can be achieved with limited powers, how much further does the First Minister think we could go if we weren't beholden to UK Government with policies that directly, directly undermine this Government's mission to tackle poverty? First Minister. Now, I thank Paul McLennan uh, for that question. And again, and this may be the last opportunity I have to point it out, it is really obvious how uncomfortable the Conservatives become in this chamber when we are talking about poverty. Yeah. And I think that should be noted. The Institute for Fiscal Studies rightly acknowledges the impact that progressive choices are having for low-income families. They highlight, and I'm going to quote briefly, Presiding Officer, that the Scottish Government have made clearly a distributional choice to channel a lot more money towards low-income families with children in particular, and that has a meaningful impact on incomes. If I had to single out the thing I was proudest of, it is that, helping lift children out of poverty, in marked contrast to the approach of the UK Government's welfare system uh, where they push children into poverty. That's the difference. That's the contrast. Question number six, Jackie Bailey. To ask the First Minister what action the Scottish Government is taking to tackle the reportedly high levels of delayed discharge, which are estimated to have cost over £161 million in 22-23 to date. First Minister. Earlier this year, we allocated an additional £8 million to support health and social care partnerships to secure extra provision of 300 interim care home beds. To date, this has enabled 408 people to be discharged from hospitals to these placements, with a total of 633 people currently benefiting from an interim care placement. As part of the work of the Ministerial Advisory Group on Health and Social Care Pressures, we continue to work tirelessly with health boards and health and social care partnerships to ensure we are doing everything possible to support people out of acute settings and back into the community when it is clinically safe to do so. Uh, delayed discharge has improved substantially under this government and it is of course very welcome that over 96% uh, of all people overall leaving hospital are discharged without any delay whatsoever. 
Jackie Bailey. Can I thank the First Minister for her response? Since she took office, over a billion pounds has been lost to delayed discharge. At her very first FMQs, I raised cancer treatment delays. In 2014, 94.2% of patients started cancer treatment within 62 days, with a maximum wait of 187 days. This is now declined to 74% of patients starting treatment within 62 days and a maximum wait of 326 days. The 31 and 62 day cancer treatment targets are at their worst ever. When the First Minister entered Butte House, 148 patients waited over 12 hours in A&E. Now it's 6,600. 3,118 people were on waiting lists. Now it's 7,700 and, uh, sorry, 7,700. There were 6,200 children waiting for access to mental health services. Now it's over 7,500. Nurse vacancies have risen from 2,000 to almost 6,000. And in 2014, there were just 15 excess deaths. Now there are almost 4,000. Life expectancy Question, in Scotland please, has gone backwards on her watch, and that is shameful. And as if that wasn't bad enough, the First Minister gave us Hamza Youssef, we, we must have a the question. worst health secretary since devolution. Let me make one final plea to the First Minister. She gave a commitment, she gave a commitment two weeks ago to look into the case of nine-year-old Harvey Martin, who has scoliosis and urgently requires surgery. Desperate for help, Harvey sent the First Minister a video message and she has not yet replied. So before the First Minister leaves office, will she reply to Harvey and help him get the surgery he so desperately needs? First Minister. Well, firstly, Presiding officer, let me uh, address uh, the case of young Harvey Martin because I have been taking time rightly uh, this week to check with NHS Lothian uh, about his case uh, and I can confirm that Harvey will be given a date for his procedure uh, very soon and NHS Lothian will be discussing the date uh, with his parents when they speak next week uh, and I wish young Harvey uh, all the very best. Uh, on uh, cancer waiting times, more patients have been treated uh, on both the 62 and 31 day pathways in this latest quarter compared to the previous quarter, uh, compared to the same uh, time last year and indeed compared to the last full quarter pre-pandemic. More to do but progress being made. Of course, Jackie Bailey's question was about delayed discharge and I'm going to uh, therefore end on that. Uh, before I do, let me reflect on the fact uh, that Jackie Bailey asked me my very first question uh, as First Minister and she is today asking me, uh, if not the last question, then the last scheduled question on the order paper. Of course, when she asked me uh, my first question, she was standing over there uh, as the principal uh, opposition representatives. Now she is over there. That says, that says a great deal about the verdict of the Scottish people in the intervening period presiding officer. Uh, and of course, I'm still standing here, which also says a lot about the verdict of the Scottish people. But finally, Jackie Bailey likes to do comparisons. So finally, on delayed discharges. Today, there are around 1,700 patients classed as delayed discharge. That is far too many. But to be clear today, that includes uh, everybody delayed for any period of time, even an hour. When Jackie Bailey was a minister, uh, when her party was on this side of the chamber, there were 2,200 patients delayed for more than six weeks. Wow. 
in our national health service. That represented more than 70%, more than 70% of all patients ready for discharge were delayed for more than six weeks when Jackie Bailey was last in government. Today, 96% of patients are delayed with no delay, are, are discharged with no delay whatsoever. More to do, presiding officer, but so much more, uh, but so much progress made since Jackie Bailey and her party were in office.